When you think of the fall holidays, what comes to mind first? It might be Halloween candy or grandma's apple pie or warm biscuits or sweet potato casserole at a Thanksgiving table. Man, one thing each of these moments share is sugar. This is gonna be a sweet episode. Sugar is an essential ingredient in our food supply and sprinkled throughout our holiday memories. But most people don't think about farmers, the farmers who grow sugar crops or what it takes to maintain a reliable supply of American-made sugar. Welcome to Groundwork. I'm your host, Tom Sell. And our guest today is a great friend, Dr. Rob Johansson, the Director of Economics and Policy Analysis at the American Sugar Alliance and the former Chief Economist at USDA. That's a big position. Rob is no stranger to farm policy facts, and we're grateful to have him back on the podcast. Welcome, Rob. Hey, Tom. Uh, happy th early Thanksgiving. It's good to see you. Good to hear your voice. Um, Rob, before we dive into the sweet stuff, let's uh, talk a little bit about the farm economy. You're an expert. In September, USDA revised its farm income forecast upwards based on strong prices for many commodities. But as you know, production costs for farmers are even higher. It's really gone up this year. And income isn't the only factor at play when it comes to a healthy rural economy. So you've been in, in the room where so many decisions have been made affecting the rural economy. Can you just tell us a little bit more about what goes into these forecasts, how they're generated, what's a part of that, and kind of what are the factors that you consider uh, in a seat like the Chief Economist Office at USDA? Hey, Tom. Well, thanks, uh, thanks, first of all, for um... For inviting me back here. It's good to be talking with you about the farm economy and certainly good to be talking with you about sugar. Um, but first, as we head into Thanksgiving this year, I'm sure that inflation is on a lot of people's minds and certainly consumers for sure and, and, and producers as well. Um, we are seeing higher prices at the grocery store these days, up 13% year over year, most recently. Um, and that reflects the higher cost of getting those items to the market. Coupled with increasing spending by consumers, uh, we, we know that um, spending at grocery stores is up almost 12% compared to pre-COVID times, and spending at restaurants and hotels is up 10%. Spending on entertainment and recreation, think about sporting events, for example, is up almost 16% compared to pre-COVID. Yeah, that's amazing. However, uh, you know, costs of producing and bringing that crop to market are also up. Farmers are not actually getting a higher return. Steadflation means they're seeing their costs rise as fast or more than their receipts. So USDA does try to keep that dynamic in mind when it makes its forecasts. Yeah. Um, and as you, as you noted, the, the top line aggregate numbers show, at least in nominal terms, uh, that it looks like producers are having a good year in 2022. But the reality is, is that uh, actually net farm income when you account for inflation is actually falling. Um, compared to 2021, and, and particularly for larger commercial operations, um, their output, uh, their net returns is falling um, by more than, than other categories. Uh, and they're, you know, they're the 10% of farms that make up about 80% of farm output in the United States. So they're really important to, to watch. You know, one thing I also like doing is comparing other estimates across different, different groups. And we look at the most recent analysis from the University of Missouri, the Food and Ag Policy Research Institute, or as some folks out there might know them as FAPRI, yeah. the, they show net income falling over the next two years by uh, a whopping $25 billion and net cash income in 2023 compared to 2022 uh, is expected to fall by $29.3 billion. Well, holy cow, that's, uh, those are pretty staggering 
uh, numbers. And obviously, thanks for raising that that ten percent. We we try and talk a lot about that ten percent that that produced the bulk of the food yeah. and fiber. But obviously, it's the, the rising input costs are a big factor. I, maybe based on your experience, Rob. I mean, do we see any relief inside? Do you forecast input prices going down anytime soon? Yeah, it, I mean, obviously, everything agriculture is cyclical, Tom, as you know, and and sometimes the uh, the receipts don't always line up on the same cycles as the costs. Um, it's clear that farmers are going to have to tighten their belts when faced with these high input costs that we're seeing right now. And that will mean fewer purchases, okay. less purchases of fertilizer, fuel, repairs, equipment, labor, et cetera. And that's ultimately going to lower the prices for those inputs. I mean, just think about what the Fed is doing right now. They're raising interest rates, uh, making borrowing more expensive as, as a way to constrain consumer spending. Um, you know, the same will be true of, of producers. Um, we do expect cash expenses, um, according to FAPRI, to fall by about two and a half percent next year. Um, and as, as I just alluded to, one area to watch will be the impact of the Fed Reserve raising interest rates, and that will make loans more expensive to finance. It will cut into real estate values too, potentially lowering farm asset levels. So again, I would, I would, you know, be, uh, that would be one category that I'll be interested to watch next year is, you know, USDA will put out their revised forecast for 2022 um, in February. At the same time, they'll put out their new um, 2023 forecast. Uh, that'll be a place where I'll be interested to see how, you know, they, they always reallocate based on better better data what what their their forecast or their estimate is. And so, in February, when they put that out, right around the time of the Egg Outlook Forum in February, uh, we'll see how they adjusted 2022 and what they're what they're thinking about for 2023. Now, one thing I would note is solvency. You know, is a measure of farms' ability to meet its debt obligations. We always talk about solvency, um, just wanting to make sure that producers are able to to service that debt. And one measure that USDA uses and and FAPRI and others use is something called the debt to asset ratio. We've talked about this before. Um, as debt rises relative to assets, that debt to asset ratio will rise. This is another place that I think folks will be watching. So of course, as you remember, during the farm crisis, the 1980s debt to asset ratios for the US ag sector exceeded 20%. Yeah. Um, and since that time, it essentially fell pretty, pretty uh, con uh, continuously through till about 2012. So from the 80s to you know, for the next 20 years, um, and it sort of bottomed out at about 11%. Uh, it's been inching back since 2012. Um, uh, and we are actually, USDA right now is projecting that that um, debt to asset ratio will actually will fall uh, in 2022, which is a good thing. Um, but again, it's expected to start rising again in 2023 and 2024. So again, this is uh, another area that, um, that folks will be interested in watching. Um, but yeah, uh, ultimately the, uh, input costs will, will cut into, will continue to cut into returns, particularly if we start to see some of those, uh, those net cash, uh, some of those cash revenues start to fall with, uh, you know, as crops start to see their price come down a little bit, you know, it's expected that the South Americans will start, you know, exporting a lot, um, in, in the next year. Uh, which should cut into some of those those high prices that we're seeing right now. Man, I love hearing you 
talk about this and analyze and process through it. It is, you know, I, I think times have been good in farm country, strong commodity prices for, for most growers, not all, but, but most, but there is this kind of palpable nervousness. You know, they, they know that the input prices tend to go up and be sticky and yeah. they're producing a commodity that trades on a world market where, you know, corn traded in a hundred years ago uh, for, for two to three dollars a bushel. Uh, it's still right there. And, and the way that farmers have been able to stay in business is by increasing their efficiency and their productivity. And gosh, it's just, it, it's it's hard to see if prices start to come back, uh, how this is going to work. So it's a, it's, a, it's a mix right now of Thanksgiving, lots to be thankful for. It's that time of season. Uh, and it's been a good couple of years, uh, but a real nervousness going forward. Okay, Rob, let's get to the sweet stuff. Um, the American Sugar Alliance represents uh, American sugar beet and sugar cane. They're, they're different things, uh, farmers and workers. Uh, I guess I, I'm just curious first, let's start it out. What are you hearing from farmers on the ground about the farm economy in the sugar uh, world? Well, you know, uh, two different crops, uh, two different parts of the country that, that you see them being grown in. Um, yeah. But by and large, I guess what I would say is that sugar farmers are resilient, um, just like all U.S. farmers are, um, but certainly just as beet and cane crops are. Uh, I'll talk a little bit about some challenging weather we've seen over the last year, um, but this year we're expecting sugar farmers to bring in a record or near record level of beet and cane. Um, so that's a good thing on the one hand, um, but they are frustrated, you know, as you mentioned, uh, a lot of producers are, are looking at these input costs and, um, uh, and that's a worry. That's a worry to to our farmers, um, uh, and we've heard, you know, you know, just paying attention to our customers and what they're saying as well, not just the farmers, but we, you know, pay attention to, you know, our food manufacturer customers as well as consumers, and um, and at least some of them have been complaining loudly about the high prices they're having to pay um, for sugar, and uh, you know, our producers aren't seeing. The adequate revenues to cover the rising costs of, uh, of producing the crop. So one thing I try to highlight when I talk about this issue is that even, you know, it's useful to talk about price levels, but it's not really what we should be looking at when it comes to ag production. We should be talking about production margins. That is getting into a discussion that we, we've we started digging into here. And I'm sure that you know, you know, you're going to have an opportunity to dig into this more with some of your other work. Yeah. But how much are revenues actually covering costs? And this is an important topic uh, to consider as we move into a farm bill year. Um, for example, while our, you know, our industrial food manufacturer customers have been complaining about sugar prices, they, they themselves have been raising the price of their products for consumers. Yeah. Um, as we, we talked about the CPI, for example, uh, the con consumer price index for food at grocery stores. Uh, and as a result, they've actually been enjoying quite healthy profits. Um, just recently, the president of the National Confectioners said earlier that, uh, quote, the sun is shining on our industry and that 2021 was one of the best years we've ever had. So um, while, uh, you know, our producers are a little frustrated to hear, uh, on the one hand, um, our customers complaining uh, uh, about how the price of sugar has been going up, but on the other hand, um, everybody's been battling these rising costs, including, you know, food manufacturers. So you know, lack of available labor, loss of crop protectants, for example, increasing environmental regulations. And all our producers are doing that in order to provide, a, you know, what we 
you know, proudly say is a safe, reliable, sustainable supply of sugar yeah. to food manufacturers and grocery stores here in the United States. Yeah, yeah it's, it, it's always amazing to me, you know, the, 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 the everyday consumer in America buying at the grocery store in the, in the restaurants. Yeah, they, they see the price of, of foodstuffs increasing. And, and I think the assumption is it's the commodity that, that, that makes that. Um, but it, it's safe to say that, Rob, that the, the agricultural commodities in most cases are a very small percentage of uh, the value stream in that food, in that consumer good that's, that's actually purchased. Um, and, and any kind of food inflation is more about energy prices and supply chain uncertainties and, and you know, the, the, the plastics and the packaging and, and other things. Is that, is that safe to say? I'm, I'm, oh, yeah, I'm, yeah. No, that's great. That's a great point, Tom. And, and it's, it's bears mentioning right now, you know, uh, you know as you started out, um, meant, you know, noting that, you know, Thanksgiving's coming. And I'm sure that we're going to see articles about how this year is the most expensive Thanksgiving ever. But um, as you note, it's not, you know, it's not being driven by the cost of the farm commodities in there. It's being driven by other things, like you said, uh, transportation costs, energy, yeah. um, labor, uh, packaging, you know, marketing in some cases. Now, of course, sugar um, is, a, is a great crop. You know, it's incorporated into a lot of items that we see on the grocery store shelves, but it also is sold, you know, straight, uh, you know, and, and for folks to bring home and cook, cook up their, you know, chocolate chip cookies and pumpkin pies and what have you. Um, and that, you know, there's not, a, there's nothing added to that. It's just uh, pure cane or cane and beet sugar that you're seeing on the shelves. And, um, uh, but I, you know, I, I like, you know, looking at the data, you know, as an economist, I like following this. And uh, if we compare prices in grocery stores today, um, you know, if we go to the grocery store, you'll see a, a cost of a pound of sugar at about, I don't know, 74 cents or 70 cents, right around that amount. And um, you look back 10 years, Tom, 10 years ago today, uh, price of sugar in grocery stores is about 70 cents a pound. So um, you are seeing, you know, a little bit of uh, a rise in, in grocery store sugar costs, but by and large, it's been pretty flat. Um, so it's a good point that you make that you know, we all, you know, back when I was at USDA, we'd often say that, you know, the corn going into cornflakes is not driving the cost of the cornflake box. You know, that's being driven by other things. And uh, the, the food, you know, the ag commodity that's going into those manufactured goods is pretty small. You know, on average, about 15% um, of the dollar spent uh, on, on food uh, is, is going to the farm. To the farm. Thanks for riffing on on that important point. So, let's get back. It's 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 harvest time for for yeah. sugar beet growers and and for sugarcane uh, growers in the in the upper Midwest and in the in the in the South, uh, respectively. In Texas, Louisiana, and Florida is where you have the cane. The upper Midwest, Northern Plains, where you have the beets. How's it going in in the country right now on harvest? And what kind of challenges um, maybe are are they facing in this harvest season? Well, I, I think I had mentioned earlier some big challenges around the cost of production. Obviously, we've been talking about that, but Mother Nature has thrown a couple of curveballs this year. As usual, you know, we do see, you know, I hate to say the H word, but Hurricane Ian um, missed most of the area in Florida, but there remains concerns still in Florida about earlier freezes that we saw down there that, that are still impacting yields uh, um, from, from last year. Late spring planting this year in the upper Midwest, it was, you know, uh, in, in a lot of regions was historically slow. 
put some of the sugar beet crop behind schedule um, and some of the early drought or some of the drought uh, early drought in mountain states also impacted the condition of the crop. Both areas, uh, um, there are other areas, of course, that had favorable weather, such as we saw in Michigan and Idaho. Um, and those uh, regions should be seeing good yields. We'll see, you know, USDA will come out with their most recent um, WASD uh, next week, and we'll, we'll have a better idea of what some of this looks like. Um, of course, I just want to note that, you know, in California and Texas, we're seeing severe drought conditions that's affecting, you know, beets in, in, in California and cane in, in Texas. Um, so we're hoping for rain in some areas. Um, and sometimes you get too much rain, uh, like we, we saw earlier this spring, but right now um, we need to get some of those uh, reservoirs built up. Uh, as I noted, uh, WASD coming out next week, so we'll have more up-to-date information about all of that. Um, but regarding current harvest progress, about 30% of the Louisiana cane crop has been harvested. That's right in line with the five-year average. About 90% of the beet crop is in uh, for the top four states, uh, and that's ahead of the five-year average. Um, USDA right now is pegging total U.S. Uh, uh, total uh, sugar production at just a, a over 9 million um, short tons raw value. Uh, it's not probably not going to be a record, but it'll be close. Um, and so Ultimately, despite all of those challenges, our producers are getting out there and making sure that, uh, that we've got plenty of homegrown sugar in the United States. It's, it's such a fun time of the year. It's in agriculture. It's, it's, it's so gratifying uh, when that harvest comes. Not always. It, it, you know, even what you mentioned there with the different regions, you know, I want the listener to know just how important it is to have our agricultural production uh, across a regionally diverse area because you're going to have weather events. Uh, that's always been the case. It's certainly the case today. It seems like the weather is more volatile. So it's it's good. It's just practical wisdom to have your eggs in many baskets, um, uh, I guess is the old saying. Um, and, and that hedges the risk for our society as a whole, the consumers, uh, when you have uh, many sources of sugar, beet, cane, different regions producing the crop has created a lot of stability over over time, it's just, it's yep. just fun. and I am happy to say, uh, Rob, being in Texas, I know the valley has gotten some great rainfall, and those reservoirs are filling. Uh, so, oh, there'll be better years for the for the sugar growers down there. Yep. Okay, so we started this episode off by talking about some of the very sweet moments in our lives that involve sugar. Uh, I, I'm a I'm a big fan personally. Let's do a quick lightning round to debunk some myths and and. Uh, uh, around sugar producers and and subsidies and some of the kind of attacks on sugar pro producers that are done uh, in in DC that a lot of people in DC make a living off of trying to be against the, the sugar program. So let's ask first: How much uh, does sugar policy cost the taxpayers? How much does sugar policy cost taxpayers? Tom, you know this, but it's good uh, to ask again. It's zero dollars, Tom. Congress directs USDA to operate the sugar policy at zero cost. And they've been effective at doing that for nearly two decades. USDA continues to estimate no cost through 2031. So no, no, 10 more years of zero cost policy for sugar. Um, so we have a stable sugar supply where on the store shelves, um, it's, it's trading for roughly 74 cents a pound is what you said earlier. Compare that to 20 years ago at 70 cents a pound. Pretty good deal. And all that is done at zero cost to the taxpayer. That's right, Tom. And, and you know, we like pointing out why that's why it's important to maintain a, a strong U.S. sugar policy. Um, yeah, please riff on that. 
we know that without a strong sugar policy, family farmers would be that are growing sugarcane and sugar beets would struggle to compete with you know countries like Brazil and India who provide their industry with huge subsidies. Um, both of those countries dump their surplus sugar on the world markets, and that keeps prices um, that we see in the world market artificially low. And actually, it's lower than the cost of producing that sugar. Um, we know that American sugar farmers are, just like all farmers in the US, are very efficient. And at the same time, they're meeting some of the strongest labor and environmental standards in the world. Uh, I think it's fair to note that. A lot of times we forget that um, our, you know, our farms and our farmers are operating in ways that, uh, you know, both at the federal level, but at the state and local level, um, they're meeting all of those, those you know, uh, regulations that are important, um, uh, you know, for those regions. Um, and they're doing that, and they're, at the same time, increasing their productivity, productivity every year. Um, and we like to say U.S. sugar production is sustainable and increasingly efficient, um, and the U.S. supply chain is strong and resilient to and we saw that you know, during COVID-19, for example, and we're also seeing it today during this 40-year high inflation period. Um, uh, you, you know, of course, the program itself spreads out to more than just the farm and farmers that are producing, producing sugar. Um, it you know, helps rural economies and urban economies in some, uh, in some states uh, where we have production facilities uh, and Certainly storage facilities around the country, our distribution network is pretty extensive. We added it up recently and it, it looks like, you know, sugar, um, the sugar industry in the US supports more than 151,000 jobs and across, you know, the United States uh, and contributes more than 23 billion every year to the US GDP. So it's a, it's a very important, you know, sector uh, agriculturally, but also as you noted, it, it has a spot in everybody's Heart when it comes to holiday periods, but also, uh, you know, um, as I noted earlier, just, you know, going to the ball games and, and what have you, uh, sugar is contributing, you know, across, across all of our lifestyles. Those are great stats. Over 150,000 jobs, 23 billion a year in net economic impact, all that from just a couple million acres uh, nation nationwide. It is absolutely remarkable. Okay, here we go. Food and candy manufacturers have been trying to dismantle U.S. sugar policy for years, saying that it hurts their profits. You already yeah. talked about a recent statement from one of those CEOs. The University of Tennessee recently did a study on candy company profits. What did they find, Rob? Yeah, uh, that's a great, uh, thanks for bringing that up. You know, I mentioned earlier that it is frustrating to hear our industrial users, our customers complaining about prices when they're enjoying themselves near record profit levels. Um, we, we worked with the University of Tennessee to, to see if they would do a study for us. Um, of course, a peer-reviewed and uh, you know, objective study by economists uh, at the university there. Mm -hmm. And they looked at essentially what they did, Tom, is they took uh, returns on uh, for publicly traded companies in the United States. So they're you know, data for you know, the Dow Jones Industrial. And they split the group of publicly traded companies into three groups. One, companies that buy a lot of sugar, companies that are agribusiness, you know, in general, but don't buy a lot of sugar. And then just in general, all of, all of the companies that are publicly traded on the stock exchange exchanges. Mm -hmm. um, and what did they find? They found that sugar using companies have a higher profit level than other companies. 
more than 100% higher on returns to um, assets and return to equity uh, than, than just companies in general, um, and lower riskiness, uh, making it easier for them to borrow uh, at, under more favorable conditions than, than other sectors. So what did they conclude? They concluded that if anything, U.S. sugar policy helped those companies by lowering price volatility of sugar, um, but also assuring those companies just-in-time delivery and resilient supply chain for sugar, which um, you know they have to worry about for some of their other commodity that they're purchasing, such as vegetable oil or cocoa or, or, or other ingredients, but they don't have to worry about that for sugar. So ultimately, this study was um, essentially confirmative that sugar policy is, if anything, helping these companies and not hurting them. So again, it's a, it's, it is uh, frustrating to hear statements out there um, about companies that want to dismantle sugar, the sugar program in the U.S. Because, you know, if that, you know, if you play that out to a logical conclusion, it's ultimately going to hurt them, um, not help them. That sounds like a great uh, study. Thanks uh, for, for that. It's, you know, God bless those companies. Uh, we love them for the products that they that they produce. It is a little bit off-putting when they when they complain about the source of of one of their key products that makes those products so popular. Uh, yeah. uh, it's kind of like biting the hand that that uh, that. that them. But but maybe we can all uh, maybe because of this podcast we'll all sing Kumbaya and get along better. That's going, right. Going forward. All right. Let's talk a little bit about sustainability. So. Uh, big issue right now uh, in in kind of our, our our nation and 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 everyone wants to to do right by uh, the climate or do the best that they can. Uh, yeah, yeah. So and I know sugar producers have made it a mission to produce sugar sustainably to take care of the land in doing so. Recently, Dr. Rebecca Larson, the chief scientist at Western Sugar Cooperative, did an amazing job in testifying before Congress on some of the progress that sugar beet growers. Uh, and conventional agriculture in general have made on sustainability. Can you talk to us a little bit about uh, Dr. Larson's um, uh, testimony and, and uh, about how the sugar industry is making advances in this important area of sustainability? Oh yeah, that's a great, uh, thanks for bringing this up. Um, yeah. Um, yeah, Dr. Larson did a great job. It was back in September, she was testifying in front of the House Ag Committee and she was highlighting the advances that sugar farmers have made in producing essentially more sugar with less land and fewer inputs. And yeah, that's there's a lot of different ways to define sustainability, but certainly that is key uh, in, the, in, in a, a definition of sustainability. So doing more with less, more efficiently. She also debunked some of the blatant sort of hyperbole, I would say, being promoted by some of the other panelists that day um, that are clearly not founded on statistical realities. So let's, let's Keep things with the science and not sort of, sort of overblow things to to try and make uh, you know certain uh, I guess farming practices more rosy than they actually are. What is clear from the data, Tom, is that U.S. sugar farmers are producing uh, eight percent more sugar on fourteen percent fewer acres than they did twenty years ago, and those increases are accompanied by fewer chemical inputs and less diesel fuel, for example. Um, and ultimately, we say the sugar industry supports, you know, our, sort of our, our mission statement, supports protecting the planet, prioritizing our employees and our farmers, improving market marketing of, of our byproducts coming off of sugar production, and ensuring a fair price for sugar. And all of those improve the sustainability of American produced sugar. I love it. 
<laughs> Thanks for going through that so simply. Rob Johansson, you are a treasure trove of, of information. Um, and and I, I can't emphasize enough how much I appreciate all that you've done for, for U.S. agriculture in, in analyzing the data in your public service role uh, as a U.S. chief economist at, at, at USDA. Um, uh, you've, you've given so much and, and, and you have so much knowledge. And, and I just want to encourage the listener, if, if you can find articles uh, uh, and you can easily uh, and just kind of trace back all that Rob has done uh, through the years for U.S. agriculture, he's a, he's a remarkable uh, resource. So thank you for this great conversation. Um, we've talked a lot uh, even today on this podcast about how farmers support our national food security, and that includes America's sugar producers, for sure. It's such an important and valuable product uh, that makes our lives better. It's really important that Congress continues to support farm policies like sugar policy that protect our made in America food supply. It's a theme that we're going to keep hitting on this podcast. Rob, thanks again for joining us. That's going to do it for this episode of Groundwork. I'm Tom Sell.